Let us turn to the chapter that we have read in Hebrews 11 and take for our text a few verses uh, about Moses and his faith. Because we are approaching uh, tomorrow the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we want to find encouragement and clear mind um, and a reflection about our own faith and how we take the means of grace. We obviously believe that the sacraments have no power in and of themselves. There's nothing magic in what we are doing tomorrow. But we know that it is through faith that the Lord's table will become effective to those who believe. And this means that if you are not in Christ and you would take part of anything of the Lord's table, that will make nothing for you. There will be no change within you. You must be in Christ. You must be a true believer in him, trusting in what he has done. Otherwise, it will be simply a religious act. Nothing will change your heart if you take externally the sacrament. But on the other hand, this means that there is a glorious truth uh, because Christ has appointed this. And if you trust in him for the salvation of your soul, you have done this by faith. It is a gift of God. And that faith, whether little, small, very weak, it's still faith. That's why you are called to build it up and to come to the Lord's table. And surely at times like this, there will be many attacks of the devil. Your soul may be troubled at times and you may be thinking I'm not worthy. Uh, I should be better. Uh, but the way to come to the Lord's table is to examine yourself and to take courage and confess the Lord openly and clearly and take the Lord's Supper because that is meant to encourage your faith and to build you up uh, if your faith is real and true. So that's one of the reasons I've chosen this text. Not so to discourage any of you comparing your faith to the faith of Moses or Abraham or one of these great uh, men and women. But the purpose of this passage, which is so glorious, is to remind us all that it is by faith, through faith, that you are saved. And the Lord has appointed these means and the sacraments to strengthen you and to encourage you in this pilgrimage. I quote a few words from the larger catechism, in fact, where we are told what is a sacrament and the reason for it uh, to be appointed by the Lord. We read, and I quote, part of the answer of the 
larger catechism question 162. Uh, the Westminster divines say, say they're uh, speaking of those who are in the covenant of grace, those who have professed their faith and those who trust the Lord. We read about the sacrament. It's, it, means, it, mean, um, it is meant to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces, to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love and communion one with another, and to distinguish them from those that are without. So, brethren, your faith needs to be, be, be built up. And as we have read this beautiful chapter, let us take the example of Moses and his faith. And looking at, I'd like to uh, point to you three proofs of what genuine faith is, so that you may recognize and be encouraged uh, that you will see some of these things in your own life. And these three proofs that Moses had this true faith that enabled him to serve the Lord and to live uh, with him. Uh, we are found uh, in these verses uh, 27, oh, sorry, bef uh, 24 through to 26. There are three words that you find in this text that uh, will be the guidelines for our thoughts this morning. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that's the first one. He refused something. And secondly, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So Moses chose something. And thirdly, verse 26, we read, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So that's the third word in verse 26. He esteemed something, which means he considered something. Let us then think of the first word Moses refused he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when you think of Moses upbringing and the way he came to this point it is surely um, a very remarkable life and you can see from that very beginning the hand of God in the life of this little boy he was born in a place of slavery. He was meant to be killed like many others. His very few days and months were so dangerous that he had very little opportunity, humanly speaking, to be living, even more than a few years. But we read that under God's gracious providence, uh, if you notice in the book of Exodus, uh, we read there that they saw he was a goodly child. Or in Acts chapter 7, when uh, the apostles were referring to him in the preaching, uh, we read that they saw that Moses was exceeding fair. There was something special in this boy. 
And uh, in fact, in, in this verse, we have read in verse 23 of Hebrews 11, we are told that his parents saw that he was a proper child. Whatever all these things means uh, exactly, surely it was that God was at work in the heart of his parents. And they too saw the promises of God in this child. So Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he grew mighty in works and deeds. In words and deeds. This is what we read in Acts chapter 7. But then he grew in this manner under God's providence. And there was something more powerful than what he had learned and the way he grew up. Something that bothered his heart that he was not happy. You may say something that was so similar to some of the testimonies that we have read yesterday, that we have heard yesterday. This man who had everything in that uh, context of the world, he was in the most powerful house of the world. He had everything under his hand and he was not happy. He had this burning desire to go and see his brethren. Whatever his mother managed to teach him when he was a little boy was still there and grew. And the Lord blessed it. And his faith grew. When he was come to years, we see, we read, when he was come, Two years. And we know this that from other passages, he was about 40 years old. In his heart, he wanted to see his brethren. He couldn't resist this. There was something that was more strong than his own heart. And he must have struggled with his faith. There must have been a lot of pain and doubts. He wasn't sure why all this had happened. Imagine what a temptation. He was there comfortable in Pharaoh's palace. And you can think of some of his friends. What's wrong with you? Why are you bothered about these slaves? Come on. Just live your life. Enjoy this. No, he couldn't. God was calling him unto himself. So the time comes when he refused all this. He refused the title that Egypt was offering. He had to look and ask himself, there must be something more than this. He refused all this. He refused all the riches of Egypt. And he was chasing spiritual realities 
a better country. By faith, we are told in this chapter, he refused all this. This is why he's listed in this glorious chapter, along with many other, perhaps humanly speaking, more insignificant people in this world. But it was the same for Moses. It is the same for you. Do you find this battle within yourself? Are you called to refuse something that is pulling you away from God and his promises? If there is such a battle in your heart between the world and the kingdom of God, then refuse the world. You refuse it by faith. Trust the Lord and what he's calling you to do. Perhaps there are some pressures in your heart that although you are a believer, since some time you are under pressure and confusion and, and the lasts of this world are pressing you even today and you are discouraged and you think that's not for me the Lord's Supper. And within your mind there is this battle. And the Lord is calling you to refuse whatever the world and your heart is pressing on you. Refuse this by faith and come to the Lord's supper. There is another aspect that I want to, I should have said this at the beginning. We want to look at Moses' faith and apply this to ourselves. But we want also to look more a little bit than this. And at Moses himself as the type of Christ and to whom he is pointing indeed in the word of God. Because Moses in this refusal of the glories of Egypt and the desire to be allocated with the people of God there in Egypt is a, a wonderful pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's a type for us of the greater Moses, of the perfect one, who had so much sympathy for you, for his people, for those that are enslaved in sin and misery. And out of his great compassion, he refused to be called the son of God and came down in the fashion of a man. He had what a compassion and this compelling desire he had for you as he came into this world. Imagine what Christ refused. And so you can see better who is your savior. What are you called to refuse today? The Lord Jesus did more than what Moses did for the people there in Egypt. In fact, 
Christ did all he could. He did everything that you could never do to get out of Egypt. So therefore, by faith, you are called to refuse whatever is hindering you and calling you back away from the Lord and from, the, from his table. By faith, Moses refused. But secondly, notice in verse 25, <clears throat> we read that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For Moses, this meant make a choice, making a choice to suffer along with people that were slaves, the very opposite of his own condition. He chose not to continue with the comfort of the palace and all the privileges of his own life. But think for a moment how much of this life was connected, not only with riches and comfort, but also with false idols. So much idolatry was there in the palace. And he must have been taught so many of these things. Moses chose the right portion. He chose not to enjoy all these pleasures and all the sins that were offered to him there at Pharaoh's house. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy notice the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what the pleasures of sin are, just for a season. The devil will make you think that we, you will enjoy his suggestions for all eternity, but that's a big lie. Sin's pleasure are for a time only, just the short season that will pass away. In the words of Spurgeon, he said, God's fast, speaking about uh, the, the people in Egypt, uh, people of Israel, God's fast is better than Egypt feast. Yes, dear believer, you may have to choose a portion of suffering among the Lord's people. You may have to take this side with the people of God and lose the pleasures of sin for a time. But this is better than the feast of Egypt. One of the first good sentences that I learned in my um, rough English at seminary was this, better suffer than sin. Remember this, children. It's always better to suffer for a time rather than sin and be deceived by the pleasures that are hidden behind it. 
So this is your question today. This is where your faith must bring you as you contemplate the Lord's portion, the Lord's supper. Are you choosing this by faith? Do you know, or you may be fearful in knowing that you will face a little persecution ahead of you. You may have some losses to face um, as you follow Christ and as you expose your life and testimony to the world that you love the Lord, that you want to build up your faith and take of the Lord's Supper. There are risks. There is a, a little suffering. And in this country, perhaps is actually so little than many other countries in the world. But it is a shame for us when we fear the consequences of being numbered among the Lord's people, when we know how much pain and how many difficulties the people in China are facing of imprisonment, and they boldly walk on and they would rather suffer greatly for the name of Christ. Grasp this, brethren. By faith, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction. Trust in the Lord. And again, we can see the Savior here in Moses' life. Because more than Moses, Christ turned literally his back to the glories of heaven. To all the treasures that were there. And he chose to come down into this world. Taking form of a man without sin. But think of Philippians chapter 2. The great humility of Christ in leaving the glory of heaven. He chose this. He walked day after day among sinners. When you read the newspaper and are shocked at how many great sins are happening in this world, how much hatred, how much murder and persecution or uh, hatred or uh, damage to little children, There's, the world is full of these things that are so extreme in evil. We are shocked, are you not, when you read these things? Sin is making a deep effect on you, and you are uh, grieved. But imagine how much the Lord Jesus would have been like. Being holy, without sin, walking daily among sinners, having to bear with the conversations and with the actions and with the Pharisees and with his own people and their blindness. What a suffering. He chose this. And not only he chose this, but he chose to go down to the death of the cross and to Calvary and lay down his life and be forsaken by the Father. So then, by faith, Moses refused and then chose and then thirdly, we read in verse 26. This is again the consequence of his faith and what he had to do. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. 
for he had respect unto the recompense of their reward. Moses, by faith, esteemed, which means he considered or he admired more the reproach of Christ, and he had clear in his mind the reward of heaven. There is more than the physical promised land here. There is indeed the spiritual reality of heaven. He balanced all this with the glory of Egypt. And he thought, as we noticed yesterday, he thought of all these things, dung, rubbish, just like Paul. He considered the shame of Christ, the reproach of Christ, better. He esteemed this, he considered, he pondered, and he decided that this revelation was for him. It is, when we think of this uh, text in verse 26, it is a big revelation we hear because we are told that Moses knew of Christ. Moses was prepared to suffer by faith for his savior. He didn't think much of himself. He knew he was called to save his people from Egypt. But he himself, for his own soul, he was looking to Christ. He had fellowship with him. And he considered that this fellowship with his sufferings were, was greater than all the gold of Egypt. We are told he had respect unto the recompense. He was looking for something after. Not that he believed he was saved by what he was doing. But he believed that there was a reward afterward. This text. Um, he had respect unto the recompense means that he was looking, he was fixing his eyes to this object ahead. Even by faith, gazing with his mind and looking always to the author and the finisher of his faith. The, the tense, the Hebrew tense of this verb, uh, in fact, is suggesting something not done once uh, for all, but it's something that is, it is an action continually done. He kept looking. He had constantly respect to the recompense and the reward. He was looking at the world ahead by faith. So he was believing in all the promises that God gave him. He was sure of the promises that God gave to his people to be saved from slavery and then to return to the land of their fathers. He was sure of God's word, not only of this, but of the promised Messiah, of the one greater than himself that would come, that was to come, and that was to save him and his people from their sins. There is a, a text in Deuteronomy 18, which is quite revealing uh, that Moses heard and verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18, I quote for you, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee 
a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and to him ye shall believe. So Moses was clearly told, and he believed in God's word, there was a greater prophet to come. And that's the one he placed his confidence. And to him ye shall hearken. And so, brethren, for you too, as you trust the Lord Jesus, and as you come to his table, and as you hold him dearly, and you confess that he's precious to you, remember that's not all there. You are, with the same faith, called to look ahead and to see the recompense and the reward and the joy that is set before him. And it is promised for you too. Most of this return, most of this reward will be seen fully only at Christ's coming. But it is ready for you already now. And you enjoy a little bit. You enjoy, as it were, some of the crumbs of these glorious promises that are the graces and the gifts and the Holy Spirit given to you dwelling in your heart. What a recompense this is. When one time you remember when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and he was sickened by their hypocrisy and their uh, legalist attitude. Um, he said this in Matthew chapter 6. It's repeated various times. I won't quote, but there are these words uh, that Jesus said, and he said uh, about these people, turning to the disciples, he said, these people, that is their reward. They have their reward. If you are religious, if you want to appear nice and godly, only out the outside, if you are simply legalistic and you, have don't, you don't have Christ in your heart, that is your reward. People may look at you and say, what a nice man or woman you are, but that's all you get. If you want the reward of heaven, if you want God's reward and the joy of Christ's salvation, you are to bow down to him. You are to trust and place your confidence in him alone, not even in the means of grace themselves, but in Christ. It is to him that you are to go. Moses refused, choosing affliction, esteeming and having respect unto the recompense and the reward. And this faith, brethren, this faith that you have, God-given, although small and insignificant in your own eyes, it is what will save you in Christ. It is the faith that will justify you before God in the day of judgment. It is what is bringing you into his very presence because of the blood shed and the sacrifice made by the Lamb of God that gave up himself. So consider this, brethren. 
And remember what we have mentioned, uh, that this passage is really pointing us to, as you go on and read the next chapter of Hebrew, is not this that the Holy Spirit tells us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. By faith, look at him. Hold on unto him. Bow down at his feet. And yes, weep. Weep much. But trust him, love him, and worship your God. May the Lord bless his word and us pray. Precious Father in heaven, we bow down this morning and we pray that we may be given indeed this true spirit of worship. We are thankful, O Lord, for it is none of ourselves and it is all by grace. We pray, O Lord, that you may increase and build up the faith of each one of us as we come at your table tomorrow. We pray, O Lord, that our lives may be indeed strengthened and comforted and emboldened by the Spirit, that we may not be going away the same as we came. We pray, O Lord, for your own glory and for the glory of your church. Do not leave us nor forsake us. Help each one and even make those that are still far from this grace, convicted and persuaded that there is a great reward in trusting the Lord, in living by faith with him, never to be regretted. Have mercy on our soul, O Lord, we pray, and all this we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.